Hello and welcome to another edition of Pioneer Pigskin. Uh, I think we did one of these last week. Uh, I'm not sure. I know Endzone Podcast took a week off for for Thanksgiving, but I think we did one of these last Saturday. Uh, joined today by great friend Brian Brown. Austin had something come up last second, so Brian is really saving our bacon here today, making sure we get out a, a, a quality podcast. I am pretty proud of myself, Brian. I said at the beginning of the year, as I always do, oh, I want to do more college football podcasting this year. And I believe outside of like maybe two weeks, we have uh, podcasted about college football on this podcasting channel every every week this year. Now, the writing, that, that hasn't gone super great. I, you know, November got crazy and I slowed way down and now I'm in a, a period of just... Uh, laziness slash uh, mental block uh, where I I cannot seem to string together words on a blog, but I I am happy to to still be podcasting. And I thank you for your ability to jump in last second and uh, save my bacon. Thank you very much. And and welcome to the program, Brian. It's always great to have you. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. And uh, you know, you're not alone in that. It is the silly season and you can see that even coaches are stepping away from, uh, their duties whether they want to or not and so it's it's a wild time in college football but it's a good time to be podcasting that much is a certain championship weekend coming up talked about it a little bit big weekend in the state and also you know this is this has been a crazy year in college football i think and, and the timing of this episode is perfect because they just dropped college football rankings right the uh, college football playoff that is yeah, I, I think so as well. I, th- I thought it did work out well this way. I can tell it's towards the end of the season for you as well. The voice not quite fully there still. I remember the last time we chatted, that that was a, a bit of an issue as well. You did mention before that you had the tea going. What kind of tea are we on right now? Well, you and I are both it, it apparently on the IR. Maybe not IR, but we're listed on the injury report. Uh, probable with voice. Um, so I've been hitting the, uh, the easy, the throat coat, mix a little, uh, peppermint tea in there just to give it a little flavor, uh, take a little shot of lemon and honey beforehand. So I don't completely sound like I've spent my entire lifetime in a casino in Vegas, uh, puffing on Marlboro Reds. Um, man, I'd like to spend some time in a casino in Vegas, puffing on Marlboro Reds with you. (laughs) Let, Let me tell you, man, I, I, Vegas is the perfect scenario for that kind of thing because, and, and I think part of the reason why I love college football and and the, the concept of of being in a casino in Vegas is I love chaos. I love to watch things happen that surprise me. Uh, and I think that's, you know, surprised today by the rankings, you know, and, and listen, there's no better place than Vegas if you really want to catch some surprises. Yes, absolutely. Surprises, surprises, better surprises. or worse. Yeah, surprises, 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 surprises abound. Yeah, Let's... Now, off the record podcast one day, I'll tell you about some of those surprises because I don't want to go on the record with any of these. Oh, well, that's totally fine, man. I I I, I wouldn't expect you to. Um, Your college football you... audience doesn't want to hear that. I can promise that. It's okay. I think they might actually. Um, <laughs> the 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 um. God, we're so off track. Um, Utah, <laughs> we're going to talk about them last. So Utah fans who know Brian from his great work covering Utah for many, many years, don't worry, we will get to a comprehensive Utah-USC breakdown in the second half of the podcast. But first, a little bit of a season wrap-up. 
kind of we'll, and we'll, we'll have individual episodes because they'll be on different days for bowl games i've decided so we'll have three separate bowl game episodes where we'll kind of wrap up the season and look ahead a little bit and then maybe we'll have if things get really crazy which they should with the transfer portal and all we might have an episode after that kind of slows down in mid-january and then that'll be the end of this podcast for the rest of the year so that's that's kind of what we're looking at here but let's Let's start with Utah State. We we hardly ever start with Utah State, it feels like, even though they are a, a program near and dear to my heart. On Black Friday, they head to the Blue Turf in Boise, and they fall 42-23 to to the Boise State Broncos, a game that at one point was 28-23 and had the Aggies storming back a late interception, a late fumble recovery touchdown, caused what looks like a Boise blowout, but what was a very close game in the second half. And I'll just open with this, Brian. As someone who has watched all the Utah State games this year, this was kind of a microcosm of their season. Very beat up, very injured, not at full strength. Cooper Lega looked god-awful in the first half. One of the worst halves of football I think I've seen a quarterback put on tape in the state this year, period. Uh, he he just looked genuinely dreadful. Came back, strung some nice drives together in the second half, brought him back, but in the end made kind of the killer mistake. And, and that leads me to my point here. I really do not think Utah State can go into 2023 with Cooper Lagas' plan A because he, he, for as many nice moments as he's had this year, he is not a consistent enough quarterback to to win with in, in college football, especially with a, a, a G5 program where you need your quarterback to play spectacularly most weeks and limit mistakes. Well, and and I think the big thing with Lagaz is is he's playing in a role where that offense and that system really depends on him to be the guy. And a lot of that is because of Logan Bonner, right? Bonner was supposed to be the dude, one of the most prolific quarterbacks in Utah State history. And if you look at the history of that program, yeah, college football, NFL, it doesn't matter. If you've got a great quarterback, you're going to have a really good football team. You're going to have a chance every single game, right? The USC, you know, Caleb Williams covered up so many flaws for that team and evolved, allowed them to evolve and, and, and develop. And, and now it's a really fierce, you know, feared football team finished the season with just that one loss to Utah. Cooper Lega is not that guy. And, and that's not to say that he might be able to develop, but, you know, he came in, I think last year in the bowl game, had a little bit of magic to him. Had, and, and there's always an advantageous play when you're going into a bowl game against an opponent that's maybe, I'm not going to say that Oregon State didn't want to be there, but just was kind of like, we're here. We're going to play the game. We know it's important, uh, but it really doesn't matter to us if we win or lose other than just, you know, sheer you know, pride. And I think Laga was a guy that they didn't expect to see come out. Um, the other thing, too, is like we talked about at the beginning with silly season coming around. Guys are in and out of the portal right now. Uh, teams are in mass like recruiting mode that buildup to the bowl season is so much more about developing your dudes, right? So a guy like Laga can step in, have a really good game, and it's a little bit of fool's gold uh, by comparison. 
Now, that being said, I think you're right. I, I don't think as this roster is, is constructed, as this team is constructed, as this offense is constructed, I don't think Lagaz is the guy who can lead this team going forward. The running game has to be the core of this Utah State football team, and you've got to have playmakers in that running game. And I don't know that they necessarily had them all year long, right? I think injuries played a big factor with that. Well, I, I, I'm going to starkly disagree with you there. Okay. Calvin Tyler Jr. was a, just a monster this year. Uh, had a 1,000-yard season, 1,043 yards on the year, seven touchdowns. Put up basically 100 yards a week. Was very, very good. And, and it mostly came in the second half of the season. He started out slow during that kind of one-and-four slump. But down the stretch, especially, some of the games he had – uh, let me just pull these up here. Like down the stretch, 65 yards, 125 yards, 113 yards, 83 yards. That's one, two, three, four of his last six games that he had really tremendous five of his last six games, really, that he had really tremendous running performances again. But you do bring up a good point in that he is a senior, so he will not be back next year, I don't believe. So they are definitely going to need to reinforce the offense. They do have Robert Briggs coming back. He'll come back from injury next year. I think Briggs is a really, really good running back. He showed some really nice flashes throughout the year. I think he'll be their lead back, but it certainly wouldn't hurt to hit the recruiting trail or grab someone secondary out of a portal so you could establish some depth at that position, which I think is really key for them and is something that Blake Anderson has talked about several times this year is how injured his team has been. I think that's going to instill in him that he wants to create a deep roster as yeah. deep as he can get for a, a G5 program at least. Yeah, and, and they've had a lot of success going through the portal to get that done, right? And and I think there are a lot of players that are going to end up in the portal thinking that they're going to go to a Power 5 program, and they're not. We've seen that kind of be the tradition. Now, the other aspect of it, too, is, is in recruiting, you know, a lot of teams are going to try to reload quickly through the portal, so that's going to leave some good recruits open for Utah State to scoot up. I think they already have a pretty solid class in terms of what they have committed for 2023 you talk about quarterbacks, McKay Hillstead locally from Skyridge High School. He's that dude. You know, he's what I think everybody wants Cooper Lagat to be. And so he'll be in the program, and, and I don't expect him to be an instant contributor. But I do agree with you. They have to go out and they have to find somebody who's a dude at quarterback. And there are going to be guys out there. Uh, you know, you saw, uh, uh, I believe it was Cade McNamara entered the portal from Michigan, right? That That would be a perfect position for Cade to slide into at Utah State. They could run the table in the Mountain West Conference and and be a player nationally, and he could put up massive numbers if that's the case, right? And there's going to be those kinds of guys with power five level starting ability and potential throughout the portal, right? Because some teams are going to search for a quarterback. Some teams are going to look for a guy through the recruiting uh, cycle. It just kind of depends, um, you know, where what the roster is at. But I think Blake Anderson is searching for the same thing that every coach is certain for, right? playable depth and i think there's a lot of uh potential for them to go out and do well in the portal because that's a team that that really has a great program great development great character all that kind of stuff and and there's going to be a lot of guys that get left out in the cold that are going to want some place to land and utah state's going to be a great place for that yeah 
I I do think Utah. I think you're right. I, I do believe Utah State is going to be a, a good place for players to land, and I think Blake Anderson has shown he has you know some real experience working in that transfer portal, and I I, I think he'll he'll be doing that again. So things definitely look you know good at least for Utah State. We still have to wait. There's a lot that that has to happen but the other thing that really prevented them and this is just a crazy stat that uh, my boss and and our good friend scotty g tweeted out before the game i don't know if you saw this but only three defensive starters on utah state's starting lineup started every game this year only three they 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 play sorry go ahead they just played a ton of young guys so if they can retain some of that talent on defense and some of those young players that stepped in and got experience this year, I think they're going to be a much better defense next year. And I thought the defense was honestly the strong suit of the team this year. Yeah, and, and it should be. I think this is a state that's rich with talent. You look at that roster, there are some real dudes out there. I think the majority of the injuries were at the linebacker position, right? Yeah. That's a group that, that should have been really stout for them this year, but I believe it was uh, – was it Moa that, that got pressed into duty there for a little bit? And yeah, you know, he's the, he's a guy that's still working to get back from a mission and all that other stuff. You know, Tafisi is a good guy that they picked up as a transfer guy. Local kid went to Washington, now he's back. Um, he was like, hurt a lot down the stretch. He was, you know, and, yeah. and those are guys that they were depending on. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for those types of dudes to step up, you know, and, and I'm a huge AJ Von Pachong fam. I think he's uh fanny i think he's one of the better linebackers in the state if not the west um you know and, but he can't do it on his own and so it'll be interesting to see what happens i mean there are dudes on that roster um you know i thought uh ike larson had a really good year uh as a starter right like showed out quite a bit um he's a guy that they're going to start to depend on to, to lead that defense going forward uh the defensive line is a guy that they're really going to have to uh, get up to speed you know i think and 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 you know, some of it too, I think, is about getting those guys developed in the spring to continue that that defensive front for a program like uh, Utah State. It just doesn't make sense to not be good defensively because you've got Utah, you've got BYU, uh, you've got Utah State, you've got all this slew of talent that you can pull from, and kids are going to want to play up in Logan. Um, it so I just you know you look at that roster and some of the dudes that really stood out, a lot of them have local ties, if not being local guys. Right. So, you know, I, you have to expect that, 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 that will continue going forward. Um, the health thing is always just a mystery, right? Like it's all about if you can get the right, you know, right strength program and, and the right breaks and everything like that. But I think if they can get some help on the defensive line, they can get some depth, they get some guys healthy, then that defense should return to form. Absolutely. Let's talk about a defense that really struggled this year in BYU. BYU, Stanford, BYU ends up winning that one 35 to 26. But again, it is funny to me, Brian. And, and you know, I, I'm kind of a baby when it comes to this. You've been watching college football for a long, long time. But it kind of starts to come together for me when, like, by pretty much last week, in November, those last two or three weeks in November, you kind of see 
the trends that have already emerged all season just continue for teams. They kind of work their way into these rhythms, and you can kind of guess what's going to happen in a game based off the past two months because these teams, that's just their character and what they do. And and like we talked about in the Utah State game, how it was very similar to what they ended up being most of the year. This BYU game was was pretty much the same. They really struggled defensively. They struggled on third down. They struggled to get pressure on the quarterback, though they did get two sacks in this game, which is really good for them. Congrats on your 12 sacks on the season. That's just a marvelous number that you should really ooh and awe at. Um, Some wide receivers went down hurt. The offense looked a little thin at points. Chris Brooks had his one game out of every like three games this year. He's had a really good game, but then the other two games, he's kind of a liability and disappears. And of course you get the classic and traditional Jaron Hall gets hurt at the end of the year or near it. Just a lot that went on. And then, oh yes, your defensive coordinator, Eliza Tuiaki steps down and that, it seems like you're totally rebuilding your defense and probably your offense if Jaron Hall is smart uh, next year. This season ended poorly for BYU, which makes sense because it it was just a really bad season for them. Yeah, they, they, they I think they crashed way below expectations, right? This was a team that people were talking about maybe being an outsider to make a college football run or a playoff run. And I think, you know, BYU fans were flying high after that, that Baylor win. And I think you hit on a lot of God, stuff. That there, seems right? so long ago. It does. Right. And it, it was, there was like hope sprung eternal back then. And it was like, the, the weather was nice. The sun was still up after 5 PM. There were a lot of good reasons to be happy uh, back that back then. And now they kind of dissipated. Now, a lot of stuff is going to start to solve itself because BYU is transitioning in the Big 12, right? You're not going to have to worry about those uh, end-of-season slide-offs because you don't have meaningful games. They're going to have meaningful games, and that's going to help a lot. Uh, going to the Big 12 is going to increase their revenue. It's going to help them a lot in recruiting. Uh, it's going to allow them to go out and pay assistance. I think that's one reason why Ituiaki is, is now has now left the program. Uh I'll let everybody else speculate on whether it was uh, he was invited to leave or if he left of his own volition. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall regardless. And you made a point of the sack number. Sacks aren't everything, but pressure is. And BYU really failed to get pressure on the quarterback a lot of times. And, and they're another team where injuries seem to keep continuing to knock them flat in those moments. But we've seen other teams around the state, next man up mentality, you know, move forward and, and fill a role and, and teams adapt. You know, Utah's now down there starting defensive ends and they're still getting pressure. They're still doing a good job. They're adapting personnel. A lot of that is just about, you know, the, the off field schematics of it, you know, and, and listen, you and I sat there and watched film together and, and it, like, it was not like, it was not a hard riddle to solve that why they were getting blown away. Right. Everybody knew where to go, where to attack and Utah state just attacked every single time to the same space, same side, that left side of the offense or defensive line, just seal blocked guys opened up holes and, and there it was. And so some of his personnel, I think there's going to be a mass exodus of players leaving BYU. I think that's a good thing. They've got a lot of dead weight on the roster. 
no offense to anybody who plays there, but there are always some guys at BYU that are just there to, to get school paid for. So get some of those guys off the roster, get some better talent coming in, both through the portal, through recruiting, get some more development. I think they're going to make some moves. They already made a move with strength and conditioning staff. I think there are more moves coming with that. I think this big 12 money is going to be a big player. You know, we're hearing, I could not believe it when I first heard it, but I do think that Jay Hill is a legitimate player to be the defensive coordinator there. I, you know, is that, so let me ask you about that because that is one thing that's really circulating right now. Heavy, lots of big time media personalities here are pushing that. Why does that make sense for Jay Hill? He is established one of the best FCS programs in the country, period. It seems like they're compensating him fairly. And wouldn't he rather go out and audition to be like a G5 head coach at, at, at this point rather than a defensive coordinator. He, it just seems like he's overqualified for the position. He is. And I think that's part of the reason why Kalani and, and, and that group want him so badly is they need that to help build the culture on defense. It, it's been on Ituiaki and Ed Lamb to be those guys and they're just not those dudes. And, and, you know, I think, you ask what reasons uh i mean in terms of just like simple career evaluation it feels like a lateral move in 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 a lot of respects but also kind of a step back however like the average salary of a, a big 12 defensive coordinator is eight hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and jay's making a little under 300k right now at weber state so that's a big raise for one uh, for two, I, I, there is something about coaches in Utah wanting to stay in Utah, right? Like, like we see this, this almost transitive property where guys just kind of rotate through staffs in the state. You know, Justin Enna, I think he's coached for almost every program out there. Um, and so, you know, Colton Swan, we were state to Utah, right? Uh, Kalani Sataki, Utah, and a brief stint at Oregon State, and now back at BYU, uh, started out at SUU. So, Utah coaches just love to stay in state. And and so I think those two things, the Rays, potential to stay in state. And then the number one reason is that you're working for Kalani Sataki. And it's just, it's not a, you can't debate it. He's one of the best bosses in college football in terms of great guy to work for uh, the, the treatment, the respect on the staff. Very rarely does anybody have anything bad to say from Kalani. I think even if you talk to Ituyaki, with everything that's gone down, Kalani's given him more than uh, the amount of respect and leash that maybe he deserves. Some right? would say too much. Yep. Mm -hmm. And really, that's what you want in a boss is you want somebody that's going to give you as much leash as possible and really force you to either swim or sink. And so I think you know, with Jay, it's it, the the bigger thing is I think if he really does have P5 aspirations and, and from what I interpret, those are there uh the better jumping point or the better exposure point is that defensive coordinator position from BYU yeah at least at least right now now i we talk about g5 jobs i i'm under the impression that he's had a potential to take some of those g5 jobs and he's turned them down that being said he's also getting name dropped as a stanford head coach potentially or as a potential candidate so who knows and, and that's why we call it silly season right now, because there are reports out there and who knows where it's coming from, or if it's an agent, if it's a staffer within the athletic department, if it's a representative of, of somebody that's trying to get that name out there and, and get fluctuation. But 
regardless, I think what he's done at Weber State is tremendous. His name's been dropped several times. So now if he goes to BYU and they have the outstanding season defensively that everybody expects, now all of a sudden he's going to be a hot commodity, right? Absolutely. That's BYU. Let's <laughs> finish up here with with Utah. Utah and USC going at it in the Pac-12 championship. And I want to start with a very simple question for you, Brian. What is the number one thing that has changed for Utah between that first matchup and this matchup? Injuries. Injuries. Yep. And and this is a Utah team that that if you recall correctly, Cam Rising wasn't beat up until that USC game. And he's been dealing with what we think is a knee injury. For a while now, he's never really looked like himself. He's been wearing that bigger, bulkier brace. Uh, whether or not it's really helped, hard to say. Uh, but the injury thing is, is legitimate, and and it's rising. It's Dalton Kincaid. Uh, you know, Jalen Glover was nicked up. Quinton Jackson is nicked up. Uh, supposedly, Tavion Thomas is now not playing in any more games because of a toe injury. Uh, so offensively, there's a lot of a lot of guys that are dealing with injuries. We've seen Michael Mogafisi at the left guard or right guard position go in and out of games for the last three or four games. So he's dealing with something that, that he can only play on for so long. But the good news is that they only had to play for a half essentially against Colorado gave some uh, backups, a lot of time to get reps and whatnot. So that's the biggest thing. I think that's changed uh, for Utah because the bottom line in this game is you're going to have to find a way to keep up with USC. There's not a lot of evidence out there that you're going to slow down Caleb Williams and that USC offense right now. I think Utah's defense has improved substantially since then, but at the same time, you're also down Van Fillinger and Jonah Ellis now on that defensive front. Clark Phillips didn't play against Colorado. We think because of injury, maybe because of just like a preventative thing. So it's out there. It's, it's, it's glaring. This is a very, uh, I don't want to say wounded Utah team, but a, a, a team with a uh, – they got a lot of ice packs. We'll put it that way. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's interesting that, that you say that. I thought – because I would go – even though they've been injured, I feel like they've gotten a little better, on, at least defensively, especially – I, I you know I think the defense over the past even in that Oregon game the defense played spectacularly and and kept Utah with chances to win in that game and yeah I'm just interested to see how this plays out part of me let me just make a little confession here, Brian, as a Utah fan, let me take off my, my analyst hat and just tell you as a Utah fan, as a Utah fan, it, and, and I know I'm going to get murdered for this, but I don't think anyone listens to this anyways. As a Utah fan, it makes me kind of sick, but they're in this game. Like just a little bit. It feels like you kind of backed in last second to an opportunity because a lot of other teams didn't finish their business and you probably weren't the second best team in the conference this year. That said, you can't really apologize for tiebreakers and 
you're in this game. And I know because of the th- words I just said, Utah is going to come up and out ready to play in this game and fired up because this is like the position Kyle Whittingham dreams of of coaching for is some numbskull in holiday in his parents' basement saying, oh yeah, I don't really think Utah deserves to be in this game. There's just semi no doubt in my mind that Utah wins this game. It just makes too much sense to me. I mean, the Pac-12 would get screwed, which, you know, typically happens. You know, Utah doesn't typically lose games where everyone thinks they don't stand a chance. And USC, can they keep up in a shootout a second time around? I don't know. Can Utah keep up in a shootout the second time around? Maybe I just blabbered on for a few minutes there, Brian, but I I just have very conflicting feelings about this team and where they're at right now in the season. Just as a, just, just as a fan. Look, this is, this is what we're here for. We're here to evolve. This is our fan therapy moment, right? Let it all out, put it all on the table. Let's assemble this jigsaw puzzle together. I think the biggest thing you hit on and, and I'll quote, the great one Spencer Hall with the quote tweet after Whittingham's quote of everyone has already decided that SC is winning and going to the playoff. We love that. We love that role, that chip on our shoulder. And he puts in brackets disrespect mining underway because that's really what Kyle's trying to fabricate because you know who really is at his best. Kyle Whittingham is on his at his best when he feels disrespected and up against the wall. And I think it's actually a problem that this program has faced that Kyle, for whatever reason, cannot lead this program to the forefront uh, from ahead. He has to do it from behind. And and you talk about Utah sliding into the spot, into the spot. Sure. Maybe uh, I, I'm going to leave that up to people who, who want to talk trash on the internet to the side and, and uh, the younger generation who have the effort for, uh, and energy for that kind of thing. The unique part about it is that Utah won the games that they had to win, and so did everybody else, you know? So if Washington wants to cry and complain about it, they should have lost to Washington State, right? And if Oregon wants to cry and complain about it, they should have beat Oregon State. You beat Utah the week before. What about Oregon State was so difficult, right? And 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 to come back to the other factor that you talked about, the second-best team in the Pac-12 is Who? I mean, by the championship game, it's Utah, right? But, like, who in your your estimation is, is the second-best team? Oregon or Washington. One right. Two. Or Oregon State, right? Like, yeah. Oregon State, the problem is, is that they're missing a quarterback, right? Washington's problem is, is that you never know which Washington team is going to show up. Is it going to be the one that lost UCLA, or is it going to be the one that beat Oregon? Uh, they didn't have to play Utah this year, and, and – Lucky them, you know, because I think Utah would have put a fight up against them. But that's the hardest part about this conference right now is we know who's number one. Number two is kind of a mystery, you know, and and, and I think UCLA probably. Probably put a little bit too much into that USC game. And and that game was really close too, and we kind of don't talk about it that much, Um, but they were real close to sneaking that one out, too. So I. Hard to say, you know, UCLA is, is, is one either win against Oregon or win against USC away from being that second best team as well. So it's, 
it, it's a tough call, and and I don't hate anybody who says Utah's not the second best team. Doesn't matter at this point; they got the game in front of them. Right. Um, and I think the bigger concern is Utah's woes on the road because they've not been a good road team. And you, you mentioned that defense has improved substantially. You know, it hasn't improved. Utah's run game; it's been very hit or miss. Yeah, and, and you know you're gonna, but you know, part of what won them that game in late October was it. Well, a Dalton Kincaid having like one of the best tight end performances in college football history, uh, but also um, Cam Rising's legs, and we don't know if he's like a hundred percent and really wants to get in there and, and be that runner because that's honestly when the run game has been most effective this year is when he's running. It is. And well, it, and, and when somebody's running, right. And, and so I think their hope is that with Jaquin and Jackson, Jalen Glover and, and Makai Bernard all becoming healthy, that, that they're going to be the, the best runners. Um, but it, it's really, it's Cam rising is the motor of that offense and, and he plays better when he can run and, and get those legs moving early on and take a hit. And it's something that I think for whatever reason, offensive coordinators seem so shy, but I remember way, way back in the day when you were still in diapers, there was a coach here named Jerry Sloan who used to talk about if you get an easy bucket and a layup first, suddenly that cup gets bigger and it makes it easier to shoot. If you get a good run for the quarterback and get him hit first, I think he settles in a lot more and then he starts to throw and throws in rhythm. The other part about it, too, is those defenders start wanting it, – it, it's a natural human urge to run upfield to try and tackle somebody, right? Well, maybe not human, but natural football player urge, right? So I think you're right. Like, it, it's going to depend on uh, – it's funny. I'm, I'm looking at the the rushing yards um, for the team, and, and Keaton Bills has five rushing yards. So I'll go ahead and throw him on there too. If he can get another five, Utah might get the win. But you know, as far as rushing rushing yards, Cam Rising second on the team right now in total rushing yards behind Tavion Thomas with 687. Um, Cam's got 391. Next on the list is uh, uh, Makai Bernard with 386. Then Jalen Garver with 360, and Jaquinnon with 345. And and that's a good sign that uh, JJ is getting there um, in terms of of yards because he's only played a few games at running back. Um, the bigger thing is, is that you look at yards per play and it's the guys that are really explosive. It's, it's Jalen Dixon, who you could probably get two or three explosive plays out of. It's Nate Johnson, uh, Jack Bomeister, who will kind of throw that aside. Cause he only has one rush for 14 yards, but then it's cam rising um, at 7.7 yards per play. So he's got to be the catalyst. And I think his health will, will be a big factor in that. Absolutely. Let's get out of here. I don't. I didn't want this to drag on too long. I want to. Make it's sure never that... dragging when we're having fun, but I know you got to get out and 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 have a life. So it it, it no. I, it's more. I, I I'm trying to be cognizant of my listeners, and uh, <laughs> no no one wants to hear me babble on for more than about forty five minutes. So, uh, this has been fun. Let's do. Okay, go ahead. Give me your prediction. Um, I mean, I, I never really pick against Utah every time I give predictions, but I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I don't see a way feasibly for them to both stop Caleb Williams, get the offense rolling and, you know, uh, uh catch every break 
it's just a lot, especially with Williams playing the way he's playing and, and Kyle Whittingham kind of nailed it with his comments. Like he just doesn't have bad games. So I think if Utah wins, it's going to be another boat race. It'll probably be like a 40, 42 to 38 kind of game. Uh, we'll say 40, 42, 41 uh, Utah. But realistically, I think, I think this is U- USC is going in with all the momentum and, and a lot of uh, a lot of the chip on their shoulder as well because they want to get that win back that they dropped in Salt Lake City and it's going to be a wild game you know for everybody who's going down there enjoy the heck out of it it's going to be a lot of fun Vegas on a Friday night with USC in town tough to beat absolutely should be a good one all right thanks again Brian this has been a ton of fun we will see you all likely next. Sunday after the championship game wraps up and we'll we'll talk more about it then. Thank you so much for listening and we will see y'all next time. Peace out.